Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet that has the science and the screaming to determine what is the single greatest movie of any given year. This year, this season, we are doing 2020, a year that will only be remembered for how great the movies are and nothing else. Tonight, we're doing a movie that has somebody who uh, their life change is so they go on the road for a long time and then they become different and then they go back home and then they go to a barbecue and it's weird. It's Sound of Metal. Guys, did we watch Sound of Metal this week? I thought you were describing <laughs> the last time I saw my family. <laughs> no, but uh, we, much to do about an RV also in Sound, Sound of Metal. Metal. Yeah. A lot of uh, just like documentary style long shots. It's oh. It's... It's the biggest problem that, with Nomadland is the severe lack of Rizomet, but go ahead. Yes, and no adorable deaf kid putting his head to a slide while Francis McDormand drums on it. Because you understand uh, that that's like it's metal the genre of music and metal also the thing. Oh shit! Yeah. Dang, yeah. very good. Yeah. That's it, one point for Rizomet. Ryan, I would think like the best movies of the year, given the year it was, and I guess making them, they couldn't predict what 2020 would be would be like fantastical lands of elves fighting goblins or whatever like but instead it's just like all these very like look how real life is everything we've covered is look this is life and it's real and you're gonna dig into it well yeah i mean one argument is that we haven't seen the art yet that is made because of how 2020 was you know like we've seen tiktoks (laughs) (laughs) uh and the other hand is like we already have so much of that fantasy shit anyway that like how would you notice it coming out like it more of it coming out now that mm-hmm. it's 2021 and we're dealing with it but guys i have to ask um we've been doing 2020 for a while uh longer so. than literally anybody else on the planet yep i uh, how did nomadland stick with you i don't know if this is the first time you guys watched it but this is sort of like the heavy this is the this is the big award-winning award-nominated movie of the year uh, did it stick the landing to ask a question? <laughs> this is uh, this is the second time I saw it, and I was blown away the first time I saw it. And I don't think it has a ton of like rewatchability in the same way that other movies do. And I don't mean that as a slight against it, really, but it just it didn't hit me the same way watching it the second time. And I I have to say that is kind of rare for movies on this show. I generally. Uh, the better the movie is, and I consider this to be a very good movie, but the better the movie is generally, the more I like it on the second viewing. And I found it, I don't know, I've still liked the long shots of nature and the, you know, Chloe Zhao's really well-composed shots and everything. I guess I had just a little less patience for some of the of the dialogue, which I was surprised about. First time, long time. <laughs> and, and I disagree but i guess having only watched it the one time it's just like so the the visually overwhelming in the best way just yeah like the, the the beauty of the american northwest southwest everything in between except the ugly ugly east and again maybe not as severe or maybe not for the same reasons as last week's lovers rock but we're stuck at home and then we watch this like mm-hmm. uh, look that's pretty. i want to run through rocks and and just like the the I, I'm guessing, Greg, maybe that the dialogue doesn't capture because, like, so many of them aren't actors, so it's not, like, delivered in an actorly way, but, like, so many things made me, like, wince or cringe, not to talk about awards yet, in a way, but, like, the, that real people really do, like, the false profundity, and then when you let down 
like your hackles you're like oh i guess that is profound if i'm not being an asshole like there's so many things throughout the movie not calling you an asshole but so many things throughout the movie where i'm like heard that before and i'm like oh fuck that old guy's right though if i don't just scream heard that before right away honestly mike i think it's a little bit different than that and it's actually it's not uh that i don't think what they're saying is profound this second time around i started to get a little uncomfortable with like how exploitative is this? Mm. It's it's beautiful and it's telling these people's story and everything, but like there were some shots and some scenes where and some pe- things that people share. And I realized also when I got to the end, I'm assuming some of this is like people really telling stories about their their real lives, right? And I don't actually know <laughs> how true that is, but hearing some of these people talk about what seemed to be their real lives and share what seemed to be their real pain, surrounded by at the end of the day, Hollywood types who are going to go back to Hollywood type lives. Maybe I was just being a grump, but it just it got me a little bit on the second viewing. Or what? Like I don't know if this backs up Greg or you know like argues against Greg, but like it's Hollywood types probably acting not like Hollywood types. Like oh we're we're not going to sleep in the trailer and have a bunch of makeup and do all the stuff that we normally do. So. So, like, we can sort of live like them uh-huh. or trick them or, like, sort of talk them into being open. A lot of them, a lot of the people that are non-performers knew. So, there were right. some moments in the movie, and we'll go over those, that uh, they didn't know. But Oh, wow. Didn't know <laughs> okay. what? That there were cameras? That well, No, that it wasn't uh, a scripted feature film. Oh, okay. Um, And so, like, we're going to live like them in order to get the real experience, mm-hmm. which is... I think admirable, but also weird that mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I'll just, I'm going to be homeless for a little bit to see what it's like. I'll tell you what the, the, this is so weird. Uh, this is a really good movie. And this is, we just have, a, we have, we came at it in a weird way and it's my fault, but I'll tell you the <laughs> shot that, that bothered me. It's when, uh, Francis McDormand, when Fern is walking into a trailer that is probably not as nice as the trailer that Francis McDormand actually has is in for the average movie and she's looking at every part of it and she's with two people who are legitimately probably blown away by the the opulence that they see mm, yeah and i don't know why but it, it's not like against the rules of the movie or anything but it just it kind of hit me the wrong way and and then i couldn't i there the, the second viewing i couldn't recover my suspension of disbelief or something i guess okay so i hear greg but I will say that the the best part about watching it the second time is uh, just being able to hone in on Frances McDormand. And mm-hmm. I think that my go-to answer for favorite actress or actor is Juliette Binoche. And I think I'm going to change that answer. Uh, like, to who? <laughs> uh, swanky. I think she did a really good job in this movie. Swanky crushed. Swanky did do a good job in this movie. I don't know uh, how tongue-in-cheek that was, Ryan, but I'll fight you. You fucking asshole. Remove a point from yourself. Ryan, uh, but I, th- I, I, I do think that like focusing on her and her ability to uh, act in a way that close, more closely resembles how normal people act as opposed mm-hmm. to uh, Hollywood people act when they're trying to act normal in Hollywood movies is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. I, I think it helps that Frances McDormand, when she's being, when she's acting or when she's being her, like an award show, is she truly does feel it. Not in the false, like I don't know how I got here thirty years later. She has such a real seething disdain. Uh-huh. for Hollywood. <laughs> and so it, it really they they cast the right person here. If it if it was even if it was Juliette Binoche or if it was like uh who's a false humanitarian, Angelina Jolie, uh like somebody <laughs> like that trying to be here, it would not ring as true. Greg. But I will say though that I weird. I, I didn't get from Francis McDormand's performance. I didn't get any sense that I 
think that she thinks she's better than anybody that right. she's with. That that's certainly is not that's not what comes across. Um, her performance is like probably legendary. I mean, th- like this is an actor's class. Like her her ability to adjust her smile. Like if this side is fake polite smile and this side is legit smile. And her ability to pick something in between there mm-hmm. and do the scene perfectly, I think, is of legend. All right, guys, we have to go. Uh, no, great show, everyone. I really like it. I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna win. I think I won, and it's gonna win. Well, real quick, because I always forget to do this before we move on. Mike, uh, mostly positive. Yes, so so positive. Great movie. Great movie, Greg. Yeah, great movie, and. I regret that I started off with my complaint about it because it really should be you start off with everything that's good about it and then you say, like, here's a caveat because this is a great movie and all we're going to do is gush about it probably for, like, two segments now. So it's weird to start off with, like, I was bothered by the fact that rich people were acting. You know what? That's, I mean, that's a sign of the times is I'm just bothered by rich people. Yeah, dude. Existing. So get I off get my it. fucking TV. <laughs> Somebody was like, oh, so-and-so, like, did really well and, like, bought a boat. Like, somebody in my real life, and I was like, ugh. Was it was not how you're supposed to respond to that kind of news? <laughs> no, I worked really hard and saved a bunch of money. Fuck you. Uh, Get out of my house. <laughs> All right, when we come back, someday. let's dig into Nomadland. Hot on the heels of making the best film of 2017, Chloe Zhao turned her severely underrated sights towards Nomadland, based on a book by Jessica Bruden. 2020 started with Nomadland buzz, as the highly anticipated film was already being penciled in as an awards monster. Then it won the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival, and as of this recording, the winning hasn't stopped. The film tells the story of Fern, a widow whose life is taken away from her when her fucking city closes? (laughs) Without a nest egg, she turns her van into her home and hits the road, working in a seasonal gig economy when she can, and meeting other interesting road people when she can't. Much like the writer... That's the 2017... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Woo! Yeah, writer. Much like the writer, Nomadland utilizes non-professional actors actually living the life of the movie. But this time, Zhao has brought in a couple of ringers. Francis McDormand, who plays Fern, and David Strathairn, who plays a guy she keeps running into along the way. Taste Buds, I ask you this. A lot of people have a lot to say in this era where movies are TV and TV is movies about Nomad existing in this world between feature and doc. Why is this movie that? What are the reasons, if any, that you're glad Chloe Zhao directed this movie in this particular style? If that's a great question, I think <laughs> if Chloe, like, if Chloe Zhao didn't want to to get a pure doc version of what she did here with Francis and David, she would need like ten years of living with the nomads. You're not going to get a natural protagonist the way we have Fern, and so you have right. to guide it. And I think since Sarah, it was it Sarah Polly who did stories we tell, like blending what is true and what is not true is really interesting. Right. And it's, if, if that was the only point of this movie, that would be kind of hack, but it, it's, it's blending like, what are the truths we tell? What are the stories we tell other people while also honing in on a group of people who are connected by stories, telling each other stories. It all like feeds into itself. I, I am. Try to- before uh, we came on today, I tried to think about great docs with great lead characters. And the only one I could uh, think about was American Movie. And maybe I'm missing some uh, about this guy who tried to make a movie, like tried to make this horror movie with almost no money. But like, typically it is about the world and mm-hmm. you, you move from character to character. 
And or it, worse, it's, it becomes about the documentarian, and that is almost yeah. never actually yeah. interesting. But it's because and how always they like they hit this blip halfway through filming, and they're like, "I'm gonna make the movie this way." Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> I'm gonna change direction. And you, I have to say, I am a lot more comfortable with a dramatic movie incorporating documentary elements the way mm-hmm. this has than I am. You know, I'm super uncomfortable with how much documentary has moved into like recreation and right. fictional things and how right. if you talk to documentarians which it's none of my business but if you talk to documentarians they will tell you that yeah that's where it's going that's how you know you can't really try to tell something that's objectively true anyway so why would you try to do that but that makes me uncomfortable mm-hmm. this feels like a better workaround where you're saying mm-hmm. no i am create i am actively right. creating art out of these narratives and these real people but it is at the end of the day a dramatic work that i'm controlling rather than you know a a real story what's uncomfortable i think is that most and as any sort of artist documentarian or fictional filmmaker it's not on you to be like how will the audience take this but the minute somebody's like documentary it's real it's (laughs) all real and so that's why that makes me uncomfortable but is Uh, that audience still there though like are people watching documentaries there's so many howdy doodats dude you have no idea. You should be a nomad in Nomad Land. You'll, you'll run into them. Well, what I think of this is this is a dramatic bad trip, dramatic bad grandpa. And it's so they're not pranks, but it is putting actors in with real people. So the is real it a people. a dramatic bad Santa, too. It's a dramatic bad Santa, too, coming next fall. And so it's it's having the real people react the way they would do. And I'm assuming they still get some direction, but most of them existing is just them existing surrounded by francis and david well it's a little bit like a reality no it's not like a reality show it's like what we initially no, that's so much more scripted yeah it's that's so much more scripted but it's like is it's not like uh or it is like uh maybe tell that story again or can you do that can you tell that sad story again so we can get a different angle mm-hmm. what it isn't is like hey i'm gonna give you acting lessons right now no you know, yeah. it, they are always That'd going be to awful. be awful they're gonna be these performers who do not perform like we're used to, like mm-hmm. Francis and David do. I do have to say, though, I do feel like there's a couple of them who step into an in-between, like like um, Swanky. Swanky, Swanky Like, great. at Swanky. some point, obviously they Work. said to Swanky, like, <laughs> yeah, Swanky, like, seriously, like, this, we're probably gonna be so ride or die for Swanky. <laughs> uh, but, like, they clearly asked her to, to actually do acting, and then she found a way to not make it obvious Mm -hmm. i think you can tell but it's not it does it doesn't like you know stick out like a sore thumb and i think the big swanky scene is uh sort of like uh foreshadowing what how the ending is going to be when uh fern makes it back to her family which is uh all right fern i will do this favor for you i will drive you to town and pay for your uh pop tire but i also get to give you shit you have Mm -hmm. to sit on this bench and listen to me give you shit and then we get to watch fern handle that and just be like yeah. uh this is awful this is my whole life is dedicated to not hearing lectures like this but also i have no choice because of my life decisions yeah <laughs> and it was so surprising because the swanky we met before that moment was only like it feels like real old people burning man for so much of the movie and at that point swanky's like no everybody's gone i'm being real now fuck you fern and i was like <laughs> oh shit and you know the the advice she gives to Fern I think is really important you can't have a ratty looking van if you're going to be living in it because that draws way too much Mm -hmm. attention and so she does the like the initial like you know maybe you want this paint but then when Fern's like no I don't want it she's like your van looks like shit paint it (laughs) it's ratty (laughs) but there's another scene later when Fern is working at a park where uh, somebody's saying that ring that you have 
that's your love in a circle and you will always find that love. And it's just speaking to these platitudes that Fern can't stand. Yeah. And that's the face that she always has. It's like, fucking shut the fuck up and get away from me, you know? Let me let me need you for as long as I need you and then get away. Let me get away from you. Also, Swanky, I think Swanky's best performance is when Fern knocks on the van, even though the flag is out there to say yeah. to serve. That's when she really shines. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, we're supposed to be talking about Chloe. What about Chloe's <laughs> what about Chloe's use of these people? Is Chloe in any sort of the word making an exploitative movie? I I, I think be, having read interviews with her and reading about her background, I think if if it, if this was who's a not gross director that's not Chloe Zhao, give me anybody. If this was Martin Scorsese, and who knows, he probably did something gross in his. Oh, past. I'm sure his record totally. Um, it would feel more exploitative, but because Chloe Zhao, reading everything she said, is she's kind of felt like an outsider every, everywhere she has been. It makes sense if you look at her filmography. That's all she's telling is like these little digging into these subcultures that have their own rules and systems, but are always existing on the fringes of society from from the writer to to Nomadland to the Eternals. Like that's all that these are about. Uh, <laughs> and I have to say that there is a way you could have filmed this um, where it is not. It's denying these people any sort of grandeur and, ma- and majesty. Mm. But the way that she has lovingly filmed this so that it has actual epic feeling, like as if it's like the searchers or something in Monument Valley. And so to remind you that these Work. are the people of the West. These are the, the descendants of cowboys. They're still out there on the road. They're still wandering. And you may think of them as small or silly or homeless or whatever. Mm-hmm. But honestly, they still deserve, you know, the like the filmic treatment some of the right. shots chloe Zhao like frames Work. these people in i hope one day i get to stand in front of a mountain that looks as like majestic as just some of the hills in the background of these fucking shots not not even just the beauty of nature fran walking fern walking through the camp and everybody's like partying inviting her over and like uh-huh. just like this this real niche like human connectiveness in a way we're like oh they're weirdos i go to a mall but you don't connect with anybody there like the the the, the, that is beautiful and not even letting the the mountains and the land not i mean she chose those shots and that's beautiful but i think she chose even these not like grand picaresque uh shots as well like she makes everything look beautiful and big Plus, Fern has that personality of like almost like the uh, the popular kid in high school walking through the high school parking lot of like, "Hey, how are you? Oh, how's your sister? Oh, <laughs> you got a new hairdo?" And you know that like makes it all seem like more of a community. Typically, mm-hmm. when the director leaves the characters in the dialogue and just shows background, mm-hmm. I get I get nervous. Like I get nervous about me going for my phone. And when Fern would go for a walk, I got so. I got excited, you know? Yeah, like, those are the best moments. Like, you just want to go for a walk. Yeah. And I don't think, honestly, I don't think she chose epic scenery. I think mm-hmm. she shot the normal... She shoots the desert like a desert person, like someone who understands right. who what is really in right. the desert. Yeah. And so it's not that she starts off with this epic scenery. It's that she imparts that epicness through just like really great formal skill because she can compose a shot like incredibly she could shoot a a stream as if it's a raging river like she just she she imparts that to it a huge part and a huge cheating but it's style and good cheating is i think is using this this movie is 90 percent sunrises and sunsets (laughs) (laughs) like that's where every scene takes place and it's because you're like well i get natural beautiful light so yeah i mean it's a, you can you can hear chloe in the background almost going like camera camera Uh, (laughs) this looks awesome Uh, Chloe, and I would say in this movie more than the writer, uh, 
can sometimes swing with a hammer. Can like uh, particularly towards the end, uh, we have uh, we have Fern giving up the clothes that smell like her husband, right? And we can figure out what that means. And then going back to her old house, and then that looked out into the openness, and then walking out the gate. And these are big. You know, these are like kind of obvious moments. Mm-hmm. Did that turn you guys off to the movie? It's, Sometimes it, this obviousness is like something that we don't like really gel with. It's I, and it's something that the movie doesn't do in any other way. Like I the the finality of her giving away her clothes right. and then walking out into the wilderness felt like way more narrative than mm-hmm. anything else that happens in the movie at, at any other time and it kind of felt like maybe at the last second Zhao wasn't quite ready to not have a narrative in the, in, in the entire right. story. And so this had to be the, ultimately the story of how this woman kind of passes from the world. You, you kind of feel an independent filmmaker on the cusp of going big Hollywood and not selling out, but like, she's I, just like, oh, fuck. How do dudettes are going to watch this now? So I, I want to get like, that Eternals if, money. <laughs> if she just drove away, if like nothing changed and she just met uh, Lemonade. No, what's Lemonade's real name? Like she met her best friends. Uh, if it just continued and ended, we'd be like, "Oh my god!" But most of the people would be like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, I, it's it's that Eternals money, and then it's also somebody at the last second saying, "Like I don't need to be uh, European. I'm gonna make American films." Yeah. And I think that having those parts scripted in there, like knowing that the end is gonna have those couple of things, allows her to have. Full freedom of like her patient watching camera for the mm-hmm. entire runtime of the movie. Besides that, you know, like I uh, I can do whatever I want because I know that these uh, kind of obvious things. Knowing that y- how many times you guys have watched the movie, Greg's on a second. Mike, you just finished your first. That is going to allow me to angle some questions. So, Mike, before we bounce, I do want to ask you. In the first time, just watching these people talk, did you feel grossed out? Did you feel? Like these people were exploited. Was it sort of like a, oh, this person's going through the Ozarks and showing the poor people it hillbilly elegy? It yeah, didn't like feel elegy, full hillbilly elegy, but I was, I expect, and this is my own expectations, I think, but like I thought it was going to be just a positive. Like, isn't this so much better than real life? And because everybody who was on the road is a bit of a quote unquote weirdo, they're there because of tragic, like nobody's there because they just fucking love it. Even if they say that at first, they tell their story and right. they're like, oh no, something horrific happened. And yeah. you can't deal with the They're rolling stones. Right These are not, uh, most of them are just people that cannot be in one place. And it's right. hard to, it's hard to like, and a lot of them found that out after they already made a life. And so part of their story is they rolled away from a life that they started with other people and they like kept on going down David, the road. Yeah, who, totally. Who, who is one of the actors, but he, I, I do think like, I'm sure he's a composite of a bunch of people she met, right? Yeah. And so it didn't feel exploitive, but I guess expecting to be like, see, isn't this better? And didn't, I was just like, wait, you're saying life is just tragic wherever you are? And uh, <laughs> I guess that made me think more than if it was just a positive. I don't know. In... In the movies that I've like watched where like these complaints that people have had, not you guys, but other people have had about the exploitation, uh, there's just so much like focus on their missing teeth or yeah. uh, you know, like how empty their bowl is and how they're eating like uh ketchup and mustard for dinner. And it's not it's not a heroic life, it's definitely a nuanced life, but I don't think it's like, hey, look at these freaks, ha ha ha. You know? Right. Yeah, I think no. Hillbillyology, a a drama, is so much more exploitative. And a drama where you could do all anything. Actors. 
Yeah. But and and but I do think that it kind of it lo- it lurks in some moments where you notice, you know, wow, somebody is really opening up and telling their own heartbreaking story here. Um, but that's in a way that's beautiful because part of what the movie is talking about is like here are some of the forgottens of America. Mm-hmm. Like these are the people that we don't hear from and we don't listen to. And when they come and they park in our parking lots, we try to like drive them away either nicely or by pounding on the window. Like, but mm-hmm. no matter what, we're trying to always get these people to scoot on and go on down the road. Right. Uh, I'm so glad you're alive. Go to a different city, please. Yeah. Like there's a city right over there. Uh, <laughs> it sucks. It sucks. Like that Brr. the whole time you instead were wishing that you were watching boiler room. Cause that's your real people, right? Those are my real people. I love hanging out in boardrooms. So I like yelling at people. I love Jordan Belfort. Any version of him, I'm there for it. Belfort? Penny stocks, junk bonds, all that stuff. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. Rushmore is a mountain of many faces. Four, to be exact. But why are they always human heads? Why aren't they car heads? Here's something that I don't know if we've ever talked about, guys. When you think of cars as people, do you put their eyes in the windshield or on the headlights? I'm a Chevron from Techron kind of kid, so I think it's the headlights. It's got to be the headlights, and it's so upsetting that cars opted not to do that. I've never really understood it. They really went a different direction. Yeah. They're like, we're going to make this our own, and it is weird. Maybe that's why they did it, so that it mm-hmm. would be like their own very recognizable brand. Otherwise, people were going to look at it and be like, oh, it's the Techron cars. And they're going to be like, no, it's our own universe that we made yeah. up. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, no, it's not that at all. <laughs> Can't get mad at me. I'm not touching you. All right, today we're doing Rushmore event. Uh, Fern from Nomadland has, I would say now, one of the most famous vans in movie history. Uh, it is called Vanguard. I, this is not brought to you by Vanguard, so you guys could suggest that to be on the Rushmore. But uh, we're going to do the Rushmore vans. Now, I did look it up, and it did say that vans are sort of like covered up non-cars right so they're not semi-trucks and they're not cars but they're like any sort of thing that they're vans they're vans like a a part of the truck that like you can go into the back of or store thing in it's like a pickup truck with a a roof basically does that make sense totally Uh, i honestly i feel less sure than before i I feel like i know what a van is yeah i was saying totally to move it along because i'm confused (laughs) (laughs) all right that means greg you're going first what is the first the slammy d van of movie van. The Slammy D van is definitely the mystery machine God from the Scooby-Doo universe, including the Scooby-Doo movies. Uh, it You need to have a van to carry the whole gang. It's iconic. It's actually cooler than any of them are. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know they all sleep in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just that. It's the thought of... Because we never see inside the van. We see it driving. But... Uh, I like to think that when we go into the van, uh, three of them are sitting in the back, like hands on knees, just going, here we go. All right, we're going to bust into this mystery and we're going to solve it. Just soldiers. Soldiers are going to pile out of that van. It's going to seem like it's ghosts at first, guys, but it's not ghosts. Let's not get scared this time because it never turns out to be ghosts. And then Scooby and Shaggy just puffing, puffing past and go, what? And then Scrappy-Doo is being dragged behind the mystery van because he's not coming shit. with the us, one puppy garbage. Die. Fucking stupid idiot. Uh, for new listeners, we have a uh, pop filter hall of shame and the only person in there yeah. is Scrappy-Doo. A thousand times. Only- and we go there, tavern ten, we go there ten times a week to go shit on his stupid fucking head. Let me ask you guys this real quick. Have you ever been in a van where people were smoking, but you weren't smoking? Oh, most vans experience of my life. 
Yeah. Did you uh, Did you feel it? Did you smoke weed? Even though you didn't smoke weed. Oh yeah. You you get that secondhand hot. The hot box. The fishbowl. I have I have literally never one time in my life been around people smoking weed where I have not been one of the people <laughs> smoking weed. Like I don't. At first, I didn't understand your question. <laughs> and Greg and I have different life experiences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I probably would be the guy in the back of the van, and Mike would be like, "You want to open a window?" And I'd be like, "No, I don't want to open no, a window." Makes it better. <laughs> At the very mm. least, Greg is the scrappy dude running behind the band. <laughs> could I please get in? Sir, I demand satisfaction. We are dueling. Next time it's safe to see each other, we're dueling. Greg. New rule. If you if you call me out for a duel, you get a point. <laughs> uh, Mike, that's a really good one. I'm upset. I'm not sure if that's on yet because it has such a small reverberation in the movie world, but mm. I think it's probably on. Mike, what do you think? I think in the movie world... Uh, it's not like I guess most of these aren't van franchises. They're all one and dones, but uh it's made such an impact. It's so unique. Uh I think the furry dog dumb and dumber van. Shaggin' wagon. Has to Woo, butt cuts, the shaggin' wagon. I think this is a definite. I think that uh hundreds of years from now, uh when we don't find Jeff Daniels funny, which is just insane to even think about. Uh, we'll remember that shagging wagon uh, speeding over a hill and then landing, and those van ears a flying. I and think that's definitely on there. I think it causes like all the dogs to shit, and they've also <laughs> been eating hot dogs and humping each other. Such great stuff. <laughs> they, I mean, they're so dumb. They think that the dogs in the van are going to be hot. Let's give them hot dogs. Guys, that's ketchup and mustard everywhere. Greg, what's next? Keep in mind, they're able to trade that van for a moped later. <laughs> Uh, okay, so let's see. I want to make sure this is movie forward. So uh, this is not the best movie ever, but it's a movie that a lot of people have seen and a lot of people like. And it is very much about a van. And it's about the classic, the most classic van of all time, which is the Volkswagen T2 Microbus. T2, the best movie of all time. Microbus, the greatest car of all time. And it's from Little Miss Sunshine, the yellow bus that mm-hmm. uh, the, the horn is like always honking and they have to push it to get it started. Uh, and basically, you know, it, it needs a lot of love, but it provides a lot of love. And I think it really brings everybody together. Man, that movie really is like the crash of Indies. the generation four years after crash of like, we love it, but we fucking hate it. Yeah, it's a yeah, like a like an it's like an indie crash. You know, like everybody saw it and right away they were like, Oh, this is everything indie movies can be and then two years later they were like, You tricked me and I hate you. <laughs> Mike, what do we got? Uh this is from a movie a lot of people love. I was trying to remember what Greg said word for word. Uh it's a van that can fly in space. The van is called Eagle Five. It is a nineteen eighty six Winnebago Chieftain thirty three from Spaceballs. It is what Lone Star and Barf drive through the air. That see to me that seems like now, an RV. You, is, this, is this stretching the definition of van? Here? Yeah, that's an RV. Is but isn't a van? Isn't that just like a super van? No, I think an RV is a different vehicle from a van. Is it like you took a van and you made it wilder? <laughs> oh shit! I was gonna do Taj, but should I just do Van Wilder next? <laughs> Probably idiot. Uh, I'm putting that on. I already gave Mike the point. Uh, that that car, that vehicle, does, does not get enough credit. Greg, where are we going? <laughs> I guess I should have paid attention. We were talking about what is or is not a van. Well, uh, you could pick the RV from the Robin Williams movie, RV. Well, what is a bigger... Or were the Millers. When we think movies, what movie do we think right off the top of our head? I believe it's the movie A-Team. Uh, A-Team... 
features a van. It's the coolest van in the history of vans. Uh, big show, a team, but also technically a movie. <laughs> First of all, Greg, when we think of the word movie, we think of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I thought you knew that. And <laughs> second of all, I'm on Wikipedia right now and a team comma film. It says literally no one has ever seen that movie. <laughs> Mike, you're up. What are the bands you have? This, this is stretching a different way. If it's a, a covered truck, uh, one of the most iconic stylized vans, imagine a giant jaws coming down and the glass coming and the kids are pressing against it. It is the 1993 Ford Explorer XLT from Jurassic Park. Those like red and yellow and green painted vans. Did you trucks. see the new Reeboks that are based on the cars? What? The <laughs> yeah. Shut, okay, don't talk to me. I'm going to buy these right now. <laughs> Oh my god, you're like every kid I've ever met just looking up shoes when they should be paying attention to the podcast there. What? Uh, okay, so JP vans are pretty good. Greg, do you have anything else? There was a movie in 1977 simply called The Van. <laughs> uh, an iconic yellow uh, panel van with a cool red and blue arrows all over it, and it was the star of its very own movie. So I got to imagine that's worth something, Ryan. These shoes look dope. Mike or Greg, do you guys have anything else to throw out there? Yeah, there's the there's the Li- there's the Libyan Volkswagen bus that the like the Libyan oh. terrorists drive in in um, Back to the I Future. Thought we we're gonna go back and forth, but that's fine. I j- okay, I said one. Would you like to go <laughs> I now? I said literally anybody. I and I said yes. talk over each other. Uh, the, the 1986 Fleetwood Bounder RV from Breaking Bad. Iconic shot. If people have never seen it, they think of RV and Walter White and Undy. Great movie, Breaking Bad. I love that movie. Enjoyed El Camino. That, what a mystery Camino, machine. A Breaking Bad movie. <laughs> Scooby-Doo's a movie, Mike. Barely. Wait, what about, doesn't Doc also have a van? Like a big, tall, white van? No, that's, that's like a, a U-Haul truck or something. Uh, that is a truck. Okay. How about Cheech and Chong's van, Ryan? Yeah. Cheech and that, Chong. Uh, it's another Volkswagen microbus because that's a that's the drug van. So. Are that no... Griffin Dunn from After Hours gets put into at the end of a movie of the year movie After exactly. Hours. Oh yeah, exactly. Are there are there no classic like minivan vans? Where is my high school car represented in cinema? In Daddy Daycare, maybe? Yeah, maybe. I don't, are I'm we not there sure yet? if like uh, screenwriters get super excited when they see your high school car. My minivan ruled? And minivans rule. <laughs> that sounded like a question. My minivan ruled? <laughs> yeah, it was actually the king of the oh. minivans. Would its sliding door fall off sometimes? Sure. All right, we're done. Mike. I like Mike. not knowing why I got those points. Your Rushmore of vans. And honestly, guys, Vanguard would have made the list. I think Nomadland is pretty iconic at this point, but you guys are sexist. Your Rushmore of vans is the mystery machine from Scooby-Doo. And Scooby-Doo to... Monsters Unleashed. Monsters Unleashed. Ryan, give uh, yourself a point. The Shaggy Wagon from Dumb and Dumber. The Eagle Five from Spaceballs. And the JP SUV from Jurassic Park. All complaints about what a van is and is not should go to, of course, uh, Mike Rafonio on Twitter. Please send them all to that. Yeah, when we come, there. When we come back, more about Nomadland. Frances McDormand is a beloved, heralded, incredible actress, and I think it's a coup that a third-time director can almost automatically launch themselves into award stock just by casting her. And like for evidence, uh, her second movie, The Writer, is, I think in all accounts, a better movie, but there was no re- uh, award stock at all. And I do think that it was missing that Frances McDormand. Can you guys imagine anyone else playing Fern or... Can you imagine the movie with no fern at all? I 
anybody else playing Fern, I would not forget. I would not be able to forget that they're an actor. Like, I, I think she is caliber wise up there with Meryl Streep. But Meryl Streep, even though she's great, the whole time you're like, this is Meryl fucking Streep. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I, I, I don't want them to battle, but like, in this one way of acting, I think Frances McDormand is light years above I her. I mean, like, Meryl Streep is always acting. Clearly, like, Glenn Close can't do it, right? Because uh, she was in Hillbilly Hillbil- 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 <laughs> <laughs> like, So it, it's it's very hard to disappear into that. You know, the movie I kept thinking about, obviously, is Fargo, because, you know, it, right. it's another, like, middle America movie. So all week, just because of this movie, I've been thinking, like, oh, you know, they use the two-cent ones every time they raise the prices stamps there, Norm. <laughs> She's <laughs> convincing her husband that he shouldn't feel bad about getting his picture on a two cent stamp because you still use them all the time every time they put the price up but she's able to embody that in a way that feels real and that Mm -hmm. she disappears to in a way that i think most actors don't actually manage to disappear into their roles regardless of their talent as mike said it 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 felt like to the point where like you know how mostly will smith doesn't act he's just will smith everywhere this had me rethinking what i know about Frances mcdermott was i was like is she is she just fern like in real life, like she she disappeared so much that it did not feel there's no line between the character and the actor. There is one part where I think that is almost literally true, which is when uh, the early on when she's like looking, trying to get her reservation and the lady behind the counter is like uh, looking for it. And she's like, look under MCD. <laughs> and she suddenly she looks up, up and right? she goes like like her eyes get really big yeah. and then it cuts away i think she was so immersed in the character that she forgot that the character doesn't have her freaking last name <laughs> yeah <laughs> the other time i i think that it's really on display is uh she goes in like before like before we start like our story such that it mm. is uh she goes into an unemployment office and we don't see the unemployment worker right like that's sort of typical is like we don't care who that is that's that's a no name we're just gonna focus on fern and so that means that we just watch her face the entire time and uh the amount like how she doesn't change her face at all yet is always changing her face because the news from the uh the employment person is so you know it's it's so big to just this one person Mm -hmm. the way that she half smiles full smiles half frowns full full frowns like that is not what we're getting from Meryl Streep, and I don't want, like, I don't want people to like think that we're anti-Streep, but like, fuck you, she, Meryl. She, this person has that skill more than anyone I'll, I can. Think I'll give of. you another one, Ryan. So it, when she gets away from the tour group, uh, when they're looking at all those rocks, <laughs> and she goes down into that gully, Ferns Gully, uh, and then she gets a little lost, and David calls her back up. And there's that moment where, and it's like from like the the trailer where she's kind of like looking away from him and he's in the background and you can tell she's like, shit, I kind of like this guy. Shit, I don't want to like this guy. Ugh, <laughs> but I think I do anyway. And there's like this whole panoply of emotions going across her yeah. face right. and every like nook and cranny of her face because the movie is about her, that. Like you can just see it shift across yeah. in such crazy ways that you know that she is like, inside she's feeling like she's really fern you know like she's lost in there but but before david strathairn is a thought before like she sort of knows like well some fucking dude is gonna come interrupt me like it's probably gonna be him but who knows who it's gonna be she like before that she had it's like half fern i am this woman who should be concerned about how i'm gonna pay my bills and blah blah and also i am a kid on tom sawyer's yeah yeah i cannot believe how like she's looking around and she's like just 
Pure freedom taking in that rock maze. Yes. Also, the whole time I thought she was looking for a place to poo because that's what I would be doing yes. on basically every tour I'm on. See, I think it's a mix. I think it's a mix of she's a little scared and she's thrilled mm. and she feels a little lost and she loves being on her own, but she's scared. And I think that's a microcosm of who Fern is as a person. Like she wants to run off on her own and then she's like, shit, I'm like, I think no. I might be lost. But she like likes that feeling of mm. maybe being lost. And we get we get drops along the way. One is, uh, oh, just hook up with this guy that you don't really like, but he likes you. So shouldn't you just go along with him? Or uh, your sister has a room for you. We have all these right. opportunities for yeah. her to uh, have a roof and a stable house that doesn't have wheels. And you just know that like all of the shit that she goes through, all of the hardships... It's worth it so she can have that face of like, oh my, oh, oh my, this rock maze, this like, I don't know what's going to happen next, you know? I think a lesser actor, which is most, uh, Fern has a real simmering pride and a lesser actor would lean into that more and make Fern a bigger asshole. And it, it's sort of there anytime somebody face. tells it. Yeah. Right. But it, it, it's just this quiet, subtle pride of like, no, I will not do anything anybody offers to help me unless like, and, and, and it feels so natural instead of like, Fern talking to Swanky, I think another actor would have made a real meal of stomping and like, oh, oh ah, rah, ah, ah, and then talking to Swanky. And just like, I'm so sad that you're dying. And mm-hmm. oh my God, what can I do for you to, uh, you know, provide your legacy? Uh, a lot, the, the first, I would say two thirds of this movie is sort of Francis and Fern hanging out with people who live this life. Mm-hmm. I want to get to the back third because that's something that people don't talk a lot about where, uh, I I think that her calling her sister, her saying, I'm going to brave this thing. It doesn't bother me to be courageous. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to live in my van. And then calling her sister sort of fucking turns the movie upside down. Mm-hmm. Sort of changes everything about the movie. And then she goes there and then she has to deal with sort of... This is this is what reminded me of Sound of Metal is that like I, I sort of have to remember what it's like to be among normal people. And do I want that or not? And normal and people are so fucking weird. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it, you know, we've been, you at this point, you've gotten used to the kind of weird people she's around. So then when she's back around normies, suddenly that starts seeing, like, you see it from her perspective. And it's like, mm-hmm. these people are the really strange ones. Well, but also, Fern, and you, you could tell this, that this was the case her entire life. She can't not say something. Oh, yeah. Like, she's, she is awesome for that. Uh, the nomads are weird because they say everything they think at all times. And make things too much about themselves. The normies are weird because they all have these scripts they should run and make it too much about themselves. So maybe people suck because they always make it too much about like, right. and Fern disrupts that by just being like, mm, I disagree with you right there. And then the fucking silence air goes out of that backyard nobody knows what to do because she's just like maybe you're wrong real estate agent well because yeah that's like a business dinner so they're like that's not just that guy's friends that's like they're like supposed to be all talking about how much they love business because that's kind of like the undergirding part of that relationship the reason they went to that barbecue because they they would rather have not gone the reason they went is because they can just spill their bullshit and never be challenged right. at any point. I read an article in the Atlantic the other day, and it was about how most people now don't right. actually have friends who are their friends. They just have like work associates. Ugh. And so everything that they do socially is just trying to climb that ladder. And that's what that fucking dinner was. And that's why normies are so fucking weird, because that's a really weird thing to do. Rather than all being joined together because you're the same type of person, like the nomads, just being joined together because you picked or got like allocated or got stuck in the same type 
type of job, that's hell. That is super. That hell-ish. is literal hell. That's I. I, I know we don't get sincere. Mike is right love- now breathing into a brown bag. <laughs> I love you two so much, and that means we are digital nomads. <laughs> We are digital nomads, though, because part of what this movie is about is about how, like, people don't have, like, just straight-up careers anymore. And aren't we all, the three of us, each hustling from gig to gig to gig, basically? Mm -hmm. Like, I have the same employers who will hire me again and again and again, but they're not my fucking bosses, as in, like, they give me a job and I I can, like, count on having the same amount of work from year to year. And now this is the whole economy. Like, they, they closed down the gypsum mines and replaced it with seasonal work, basically. And uh, uh, I mean, if we're going to get into this for the three of us, I, I I think that the three of us do a lot of great things that is not the exact great things that our parents thought that we would do. Uh-huh. And th- there's a rub there of how, like, uh, instead of being proud, they're like, oh, why? Uh, they went a different way. And, <laughs> uh, for Fern, that so much of it is that uh, I like my life. It's not what you like. So it's not just like, oh, so you're not proud of me. But it's also like, fuck you. Uh, you know, like that's how she acts in conversations. That that's why she's never at home. You know, like <laughs> she, the 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 ferniest or maybe non ferniest moment of the movie is when uh, her sister's like, and you left, like you couldn't not leave, and then you left, and you left me alone. And we know why Fern did. We know her personality, but it's the first time that Fern says anything along the lines of she quietly says that one's on me. You know, right. Like, I do have to say but, this movie doesn't just glorify the people that move on. It really is mm-hmm. about people who like they they have sundered relationships to move on. They have abandoned people to move on. And it's not in a judgy way, but it's just it wouldn't be true if someone didn't say to Fern, right. when you left, it broke me. Like and, and circling back, I think that's what to the first segment, I think that's why we need Francis McDormand and David Strathairn, because you're not gonna get a real family to open up this month yeah. <laughs> unless you spend 10 years with them. So for him to have left his son for who knows his reason, he also had a move and for his sister, like we need actors to, to pinpoint yeah. those movies, those moments down. But at the same, you can, al- you can almost feel Chloe saying like, uh, Francis, this fucking guy who's never acted before won't say the exact shit I need him to say. Could you please just read this dialogue? <laughs> so my movie will work. And then at the same time you pair that in that same movie, there's Bob's whole speech. Which all through talking about his son and how he oh. never talks about this. I sat there. Basically, so wait, hold on. Bob is uh, Bob is the leader of this group of uh, road people like, of nomads who like <laughs> he sort of like sets up a community where there isn't one and says, "Come on out," because I'm worried about our futures. And he, he it's not. It's unbelievable how like not cultish and right, yeah, yes. and not political. I mean, he he says things like you know, the almighty dollar and trying like, but it still manages to be basically just supportive and nice. And then when he tells his story, like you couldn't write something like that. And I don't think an actor could deliver it the way he does, because that is a real genuine moment. That guy is opening up a part of himself that he almost never opens up and he's letting light shine in there. And so that really is to circle back around to that first question. That's the value of doing the movie this way, because Mm -hmm. you get that David, scene and then you get that bob scene and you're pairing then the fictive and the real but really what it is is to just show as much light on reality insofar as it exists by you know combining these two things and and what's beautiful about that bob scene not just the way his voice cracks but so much of the movie is either real people are trying to be and real people don't do explosive monologues turns out often uh 
and his Some is not real people. And I he, feel like it pushes back emotion throughout the whole movie. So when his voice cracks, a wellspring of tears. I did not know the movie was like filling in me. Fucking right. good. Thinking about that scene since uh, for the last few days, it's so easy. I'm like, if I had to act right now and had to cry, I'd be like, uh, Bob talked about his son. I'm gonna cry <laughs> in one second. Because you were watching uh, Fern skinny dipping and just just watching it, not knowing that it was like starting this background of. Like this building, uh, like this welling up of emotions that yeah. could launch at any point, and it was Bob expertly is, crafted. Yeah, this is what's so confusing to me about like movies in general. Like, on one hand, Bob was manipulated into telling that story. I believe Bob went uh, also not just like when he broke, like that was real, mm-hmm. but also when he said, "I don't tell this story very often," and yeah. he, I do believe that he was sort of he was talking to Chloe. He, yeah, he was sort of like uh, told to uh, finally deliver that story. But on the other hand, we have this on film forever. And that's also important. And I don't want to like, I don't want to steal people's shit. I don't want to manipulate them. But like now, like we have this incredibly important moment that everyone can watch forever. And I mean, like he should have opened up about that. He should have yeah. shared that. So like it's, I think ultimately. We know better than Bob. And you know, I, I'm, I just have to say it, I, this is the difference between having a a, a woman director and a, and a man director. I wouldn't trust a man to do any of this shit. Like, mm-hmm. d- you know, I trust that Bob was not right. manipulated because I don't think Chloe Zhao would do that. And that's why if I were to hire somebody right now, I'd hire a woman instead of a man because you can just trust them to do more things like without being weirdos. And never flash their junk. Trivia. <laughs> oh. Guys, I want to talk more about the movie, but it's trivia time. You guys know how it works. Uh, wait till I say the entire or ask the entire question, and then say your name to ring in. Here we go. Empire Nevada was a city that was shut down and unincorporated in 2011. How long were people allowed to live in their houses before the plug was pulled? Greg, Mike, Greg, one month. Incorrect. Mike, Mike, six weeks. Incorrect. It was five months, right. and then they said uh, they were told to get the fuck out. Five months, uh, and also to totally leave. There's no one that could buy their house. Like, yeah. your your nest egg, like the entire thing that you lived in, like that's like uh, so much nest egg is real estate. They shut right? down the, the zip code. That was crazy. Yeah, that was like, <laughs> that's extreme. Uh, no Bad Land is based on a book by Jessica Bruder. What was the title of the book? Greg. Greg. Fern Gully. Incorrect. Mike. Mike. No Mad for Country Old Man Land. Incorrect. The title was Nomad Land. Uh, so close. Chloe Zhao's next movie is the MCU's Eternals. Name one Eternal. Mike. Mike. Droog. Incorrect. What? I don't have it here, so it's incorrect. Greg. Greg. Oh, no, wait. That's not an Eternal. Ah, shit. Medusa. Mike. That's it. No, that's an Eternal. Yeah, that's the one. (laughs) (laughs) Mike. Mike what? Uh, Icarus. That is one, but you already said Drew. That sucks. Uh, <laughs> Davis Trithern was a supporting actor in which movie of the year? Mike. Mike. After Hours? Well, that's not a movie of the year. Af- you think that was named Movie of the Year? Greg. Oh, no. Greg. Eyes Wide Shut. Incorrect. I was just thinking of movies we've watched. Ella <laughs> Confidential. He played Pierce Pratchett, of course. the pimp Jesus who Christ. cut horrors. Uh, Chloe Zhao was one of two women nominated for Best Director this year for the Oscars. And also one of two East Asian people. She's obviously the first female East Asian person. 
Name the female or the East Asian person. Greg. Mike. Greg. Kelly Reichert. Incorrect. Oh, yeah. We like said how she didn't get <laughs> And remember how you lost the Oscar draft? Yep, 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 yep. All coming mm, together now. That other, that other checks, that other checks, that other checks, that other checks. Uh, that's what I was going to say. So, <laughs> way better, 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 better. Ryan. Emerald Fennel was uh, a <laughs> young woman. And uh, Lee Isaac Chung for Patreon people, was the director of Minari, which we will be doing on the Patreon show. Francis McDormand's Oscar was most, for uh, three billboards, was most likely a makeup award for what superior performance? Mike. Mike? Any other, but I know you like specificity, so I'll say Fargo. That is correct. She did win Best Actress for Fargo, but she should have won a second one for Fargo <laughs> over three billboards. Mike. Uh, the other one was Almost Famous, Best Sporting Actress. Uh Who's won the most makeup awards? Greg. Greg? Um, Madonna. Correct. <laughs> Mike. Yes? Denzel Washington. Wait, you mean no, makeup it, in the other way? Yeah, I yeah. Good shit. I realized you... Learning how trivia works. <laughs> I rang in because I realized that's what you were doing, and then I was like, you still don't know, though, man. You Just because just you know the trick doesn't mean you know the answer. Uh, it's Rick Baker. Has won the most makeup awards, and he's the guy who does all of the different Eddie Murphys in the Eddie Murphy. <laughs> good for him. <laughs> Honestly, good for him. <laughs> like the, just because those movies aren't very good, the makeup's good. Chloe Zhao lives in what crunchy tourist destination north of Los Angeles? Mike. Mike. Oh hi. Oh hi is correct. I think it's uh, Ohio. Who is who is Tommy <laughs> Wiseau's favorite person in Ohio? Greg. Greg. Oh hi, Mark. It's oh hi, Mark. <laughs> He loves that guy. Uh, What is the name of the person who stands outside of a fast food restaurant in Paris letting people in to get their Le Big Mac? Mm. I'm going to go one more time. Alex Trebek never gets the chance to do this. I'm going to go one more time. Uh, What is the name of the person who stands outside of a fast food restaurant in Paris letting people in to get their Le Big Mac? I don't know. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. It is, it is of course, Francis McDormand. Oh. <laughs> Fuck you. Francis McDormand really slept in a, in, a, in a van, really wanted to change her name to Fern, and really kept her own stuff in the van during filming. What other nomad land experience did she really do? Greg. Greg. Shit in a bucket in the van. She shit Mark. in a bucket in a van. Yeah. Uh, what was the alias of nomad in Marvel Comics? Greg. Greg. Oh. I was going to say U.S. agent, but that's not... What, U.S. agent, Ryan. What a weird birth name. But yeah, no. that would be Mike. very weird. <laughs> Mike. Steve Rogers. It's Steve Rogers. Mike. Oh, what yeah. Was ironic, what was ironic about that superhero name? Steve Rogers? Nomad. Oh. Greg. Mike. Greg. He was mad. He's pissed he off. He was mad a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was often mad. Uh, what does Fern name her van? Greg. Mike. Greg. Vanguard. Vanguard is Greg. correct. What would she have named it if the van was good for protecting her from falling balls of ice? Mike? Mike. Isengard? <laughs> you, 
Do you think that as the host and creator of the trivia segment, I wrote down Isengard? No, that's a really good answer. If you think about it, if yeah, I were the host, that'd be perfect. In the Lord of the Rings, I looked at Greg's face <laughs> Damn, and said Isengard. That was really clever. <laughs> Incorrect. It's Van Halen. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, me and Greg like each other. <laughs> what? Friend, friend. what would Fern have named her van if it could get smaller and bigger due to parm- pim particles? Greg. Greg. Vantman. It's Vantman. <laughs> what would she have named it if uh, she was a rich dude that adopted the van? Greg. Mike. Greg. Little Orphan Vandy. <laughs> That's so good. It says Little Vorphan Vanny, but I'm going to go to Greg. Greg. Uh, what would she have named her van if she drove it through Bale Air, but halfway through she changed the van to a different van? <laughs> <laughs> you guys you guys have to answer soon. <laughs> say say it again, please. What would she what would Fern have named her van if she drove it through Bel Air, but halfway through the drive she changed it to a different van? Belle Biv DeVoe. <laughs> I'm not sure why, but it has a it has a good sound to it. Mike, no answer? No answer. I got Vant Viv. It's Vant Viv. Oh. Oh. And finally, what would she have named her van if it was a big, buff, handsome man who gave presents at Christmas? Greg. Mike. Greg. Vanta Claus. Sexy Vanta Claus. Vanta Claus. <laughs> that is trivia. When we come back, more about Nomadland. <laughs> Gentlemen, great trivia, but if we can get serious for a moment, there's one word that we haven't mentioned that it's really hard for people not to mention when they're talking about this movie. It's the A word, and it's Amazon. And I sort of want to... I don't know. I want you guys to tell me what you saw and what you think Chloe meant. Uh, let's start with this. Before we get to the big A word, how do you think Chloe Zhao views capitalism? Does the movie set the nomadic lifestyle as a good alternative? The problem when you're talking about capitalism, I think, is you can divide it into different categories. I think she is critiquing this what they call late stage capitalism right where so much of the money so many of the resources have now been transferred into the upper class that like you can have you i think you can have capitalism but at some point you have to stop stealing (laughs) and maybe maybe that's a contradiction in capitalism because you have to keep growing but like it just seems like if you kept offering people jobs then maybe they wouldn't be and careers and things that they could do year round and that they could count on. But when even a a job in a mine where you buy a house that's close enough to the mine to work in, even that is impermanent in this economy so that it shuts down and they shut down your whole zip code. Like you have to critique that Mm -hmm. version of capitalism because people can't build their lives in that version of capitalism because within one second you can be completely erased you have five months to sell your house and you can't sell it you have five months to leave your house yeah it's when it's not too big to fail but it's so big it shuts down an entire township uh (laughs) that it's too big to fail these people aren't too big to fail they could fucking fail like so where people are no longer cogs is i don't know if capitalism is inherently cancer-like but it definitely is these days, and maybe that's what late stage capitalism is, where it does feel like her critiquing capitalism is definitely on the stand here, but 
the nomads don't look like heroes. They are also just nuanced people. Like they're trying for their own, but they all have like a tragic reason. Like she, it kind of seems just like being a person sucks and is hard, right? And there's no good system for it. Like that's what I got out of it. And that's why ultimately it feels like the movie is pretty toothless when it comes to Amazon, because we know, especially now in the last couple of weeks, we know the things you can lay at the door of Amazon. They bust unions. They force people to, mm-hmm. to piss in, in buckets. Right. So we know the kind of charges you can lay against Amazon. And the movie makes instead of those, it makes more subtle charges like the fact that the employment is only mm. seasonal. But it doesn't like I thought Amazon came off looking pretty good. Can I get a safety rule? Right. You know, and we don't even start until we do safety rules. And look at these big smiles they have as they go from place to place. These are people. And also they're Pisses outside when they of go the bucket. On. It's not even in the bucket. Yeah, pee yeah. in the bucket in your own so, van. Ultimately, this felt like a very authorized by okay. Amazon. So I want to push back on that because only if we thought the point of the movie was to take down Amazon, and that was not the point of the movie. Everybody, because Amazon's here, people are like, well, it's going to critique Amazon. So if it feels toothless, it's just because we expected it to take down Amazon. Amazon is a one of well, eight jobs Fran has. I don't know if it, if I expect it to take it down. I expect it not to come off as like a very fun place to work. Too bad you can only work there for a few but months. But isn't that true it was, for some was, people who work there? Like, I, it's not true. This movie isn't trying to tell the story of all of Amazon. And like, Fran seems like Fran makes it seem like once I get that am like that's the best check she gets all year. Is like uh, that that's the money I'm waiting for. Is that when Amazon pays me? That's the insidious evil of Amazon. Is Right. It's a dog shit job that is still the best check these people get all year. Yeah, that $15 an hour was and, pretty nice. But when we look back at this time and we look back at what happened to the average person, Amazon is going to look like a huge villain. It already does, right? And so in this movie, like, how does it, how does Amazon come off in this movie? What, what does it look like? Because to me, it, it just looks like another place that you might go work. It doesn't look like it's the problem. It doesn't look like it's moving people all over the world into new locations, into these Mm -hmm. huge factories and basically treating them like animals, giving them no long-term work. If you work at Amazon for more than like a couple months, they'll basically find a way to force you out because they don't want anybody to work there for any amount of time. And she only works there for a couple months. So I think her, the only job that she truly thrives at is when her and linda may are like camp hosts that seems like a fucking party job except you're cleaning shitters and they're good and, at it because they're right. like people. they're like, the bad <laughs> bitches of the desert they're the bad bitches of the desert but uh the the like state fair job and then the amazon all her other jobs seem the same because it's just like you do just show up and clock in clock out like because if any job you only do for a couple months right. it's not gonna you're not gonna see this giant systemic issues okay so <laughs> I know how awful Amazon is. and Go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon if you want to shop today. <laughs> uh, but this whole movie is from Fern's perspective. Like mm-hmm. The only fictional character in the movie is from her perspective. And she cannot afford to be like, fuck Amazon. Uh, I'm going to boycott them. I'm going to not buy from them. I'm going to tell other people to stop buying from them. She can only afford to take the opportunities that they give. And that is awful. But like the fact that like they've turned the economy into like you have to come work with us and you can only do it in Christmas, but we will like give power to your van. That sucks. But I'm just I, I'm trying to only be interested in uh, what Chloe Zhao is trying to show us and not think that she has 
the world on her shoulders and has <laughs> to explain every single situation to her. It's I, they, I don't, this movie is not trying to take on all of capitalism. It's trying to tell Fern's story, and so that's why I think expectations matter. Is for Fern, it is a lifesaver. They pay her rent and pay her power for three months out of the year. So, I I still think that you're there's there's a false dichotomy here between like d- dismantling capitalism within one movie and celebrating a company and that what what, the, what this movie does i'm not saying that it should like be a takedown of amazon which like an in-depth like look at all the problems that amazon has i'm saying that if you're going to bring in an entity like amazon you should question it a little bit more than this movie does parts of this movie seem like a commercial for working at amazon like nobody hands her a phone and says we're gonna log literally every mm-hmm. single minute that you're here you know, like, like, and that's something that happens at Amazon. This, honestly, I come away from watching this movie thinking that if, as long as you could do it year round, this is a pretty good job. I think the movie just has a little bit more of a job to be like, actually, this is one of the worst places to work in American history. I mean, <laughs> the story that's... is, is that like, they were like, oh, we should find a place like Amazon to shoot in. And then we asked Amazon and they said yes. And so we did. And like, oh, that's oh. the long and short of it. And that like, they did not think Amazon would say yes, and they did not change their script in order to, you know, comment mm-hmm. on the fact that like they are ruining America as we know it. Yeah, because I guess that's my stance is it feels like there's a problem with the way the world works at large that if you start to peel back a little at the scab of Amazon, you're just gonna keep digging and digging and it's going to become about that. And this movie was on Hulu. At least it wasn't on Amazon <laughs> Prime, which would be, I, I think would we would have a very different tone, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, pr- probably. But like, uh, this almost this would be at home on Amazon. I don't think there's anything in this movie that would make Amazon oh, feel no. uncomfortable no. She, in the she, least during the so filmmaking. She seems isn't very. Th- I mean, even that, that Amazon let her film there. So even that to me seems like okay. Well, that's like I don't know. That's at least something to to think about when we're talking about. But then the what movie. you're saying is that if you have anything to do with Amazon, you must you have a, res- a responsibility to comment on Amazon and how terrible they are. I would say if you are going to use Amazon as a backdrop, if you're going to show their logo, if you're going to show their facilities, and you're going to show the, the, the culture of their work, then yeah, if you're going to give all of that, you ought to give the other side too, which is that they grind these people down Do- into dust. It, you know, I saw the logo. We've been talking about Amazon this entire time. It does, and again, they come work. out looking really good. So it does redound to their benefit, and this is one of the most gross companies in America. But you think it's so, cool to like if you're making a setting movie a hundred years ago and you have a character work at the Triangle Factory for a day, like, and don't comment on that that it that's it's that fucked up. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, it, it, like if you never if you never have a character go like, hey, are these is this thing like blocking <laughs> there this is exit? No fire <laughs> right? In and it's, right instead, it's like, hey, welcome to the Triangle Shirt Factory. Who can give me a safety <laughs> tip? Uh, safety tip number one: don't come into work here. Very good. If you can afford it, don't come into work here. It's a death trap. Or just come to work with a hang glider on your back. That would be nice. That would be that would make it best. But I, I certainly don't think that this invalidates the movie or anything like that. It's just I have a little bit of a gross feeling seeing that logo and not and then it being just treated like you know a, a cool. Place to <laughs> I work. just I keep thinking about the type of movie and what the director wanted, and this wasn't Spotlight. You know, like a movie like Spotlight <laughs> really does go from the tippy top to the disgusting bottom of all levels of a story. And because this is such Fern's story, we all we really have time for is for her to be thankful that Amazon gives her this paycheck every once in a while, and then she moves on. And and is there any job that she has where we where we see a bad 
side yeah. of it. She doesn't seem to like. She likes being a campground host. At at despite the fact that the drugstore is clearly a restaurant and not a drugstore, that doesn't seem to bother her. I mean, I think there. that the challenge here is that we're uh, is are all of these jobs bad for Fern? You know, like isn't she better than all of them? And I think that's something to think about is that the fact that like. Oh, you 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 could be doing something better than all of this, and you're still doing this. That's w- the real challenging thing is she has zero entrepreneurial spirit. Like it, that's the part. The part that challenges me is that without somebody to give Fern a right. job, she literally can't live. And that part right. is challenging to me because it seems like that's not the independent spirit that this is celebrating. Like she doesn't try opening up a stand selling tchotchkes. She doesn't like try to open a bakery. Somebody has to give but Fern I a think- job. Like, I think that's still the indictment of capitalism, not of Fern. Like it that that feels like the hustle culture of Silicon Valley. Like if you're not, you don't want a job, you better hustle and create one. I think a lot of the movie's point is like, what if we could all barter and just live like people did for most of people's history on the world? Like then you won't have vans and you won't have the engines. Well, I mean, <laughs> not like not if you give a mouse a cookie, go every fucking thing down, but like. The, these people have to live in the world, so is doing an odd job here and there to get some money to keep living the life they want. How bad is or isn't that? But I, I just think that Fern Spirit is, uh, you know, like put on a pedestal and like, uh, you know, analyze, like, is this good? Mm-hmm. And yeah. one that we didn't talk about, like, she called, like, the second her van breaks down, she calls her sister. But the other one is like, uh, the old lady that she does laundry with towards the beginning and they, they put the puzzle together. Yeah. And she's like, I'm going to give you a map to Bob's place. And she's like, oh, I don't want that map. And the lady's like, well, I'm going to give you the map anyway. And she shows up. Louisa yeah, May. And, yeah. Uh, and she shows up immediately. Like, she's like, well, I don't want that because I feel like you're telling me what to do right now. And that's <laughs> not cool. And then, of course, she shows up. And that's part of the the Swanky's uh, lecture is like, you got to be self-sufficient. I think that's that's part of it is I do yeah. think Fern and Francis McDormand have Tyler Durnder just a little. She's so cool. That we are losing the sight that the movie is saying. Look at how many things she's bad at. Because she is never fully self-sufficient the way Swanky is. And tells her she needs to start being. And how dare you even tell me. And she kind of won't. She kind of won't save herself. I mean. Because you know. I think that this is another movie where. uh, This is like reminds me of Promising Young Woman in a way. Like we kind of already see Fern as a ghost. And I think for a lot of this movie. It's about how she's having trouble existing mm-hmm. anywhere under any conditions because her life was somewhere else she was someone who was never going to settle down and she finally settles down and they fucking close right. the town down on her like what a big kick in the crotch like once i've realized that you finally oh, stop uh, i will settle down i will live with this dude and because if i leave him then he will disappear so now i have to stay i have to like uh you know abruptly stop all of my free spiritedness and then he dies in the <laughs> All right, guys, it is speed round time. Do not say your name after the end of these questions. Uh, these seem like nice people, but they make some of the worst freaking music I've ever heard. No question. Ryan. Mike? <laughs> yeah, this is... I love that these people have like this freewheeling spirit and they provide entertainment for each other and everything, but... I think there's one Very little exception. exception. The piano man? The, the piano, piano guy. guy. Yeah. He uh, rules. The piano man. guy, yeah. The guy who played... But that's because blue and old school, like the old guy with like no teeth <laughs> and the mustache. That guy, I think he is a good musician. He, well, he's an entertainer. Yeah, he stops. Okay. He talks to the crowd. He starts playing again. 
but man, so much of the music, which is all about like nomad life and everything, is so discordant and jangly and terrible. It's well, I think it makes depressing. sense because they go in to watch music and they're like, "Nope, I'm gonna be on the road. <laughs> I, I should, I should, I should get out there." Uh, how dope was that rock maze? So dope. I want to get lost in it all day, every day. I want to go there right now. It's the, one of the most beautiful American parks I've ever seen. Do you guys not have panic attacks when I, you're stuck in nature? When like no. when you're lost and you don't know where your friends are? I want to figure out why they're so, why is it so melty? Why is it so melty? Who, who melted all those rocks? That's no wonder they called the Badlands. It's like they melted away. That's gross. God's ice cream. Are old people actually kind of rad? And uh, let me rephrase that real quick. No, old women are old women kind of rad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, for sure. Okay. It's become so apparent recently that old women are the coolest people on the planet. Old men, pretty bad. Old women, yeah. though, very, Between very Swanky, cool. Between Swanky, Louisa May, Mark. and Fer- Fern, Mike. come on. Mm-hmm. Old people or old men are like, uh, they're disgusted that you're talking to them, and then they're disgusted by their entire life. Like, their whole life flashes by, by yeah. their eyes, and like, they can't take it. Think, Dave is like the best mm. old man that there is, right? And when he grabs that box of her stuff after she says, I don't need help, and then he pulls it and all <laughs> the bottom drops out and all of her stuff breaks, that's China. Man, man. That's, that's boys. My favorite part of the movie is just her saying, get over there. <laughs> like, get the fuck yeah, get away from over me. There. Of course, he says, you don't have to shout. Of course, I did something bad, but now you've done something worse by shouting. <laughs> by telling uh, me I did something bad. <laughs> you made me feel bad. Oh, man. I you mentioned them all, but of all of them, what is the best job Fern has in this movie? And let me remind post. you that camp director. only one of them is by a giant dinosaur. Yeah, one. I mean, that rules out. <laughs> but yeah, camp host seems, but, uh, other than cleaning poopies. Uh, or saying, just, this is closed. This is, oh, you're peeing. Okay. I'm <laughs> there's, there's a moment where she's a camp host where a guy comes over and he has like this energy where he just seems really upset. And he's like, hey, are you the camp host? And she's like, I sure am. And he's like, oh, because we don't have power. Could you get us power? And she instantly yeah. goes and does it. And you're like, She's really good at this. Just by saying I'm the camp host, she kind right. of defused that situation God, a little I, bit. I, Fern and Linda May's energy made that guy go from I'm gonna fucking uh, yeah to all yeah. the way to like okay, it's cool. What a good, what a subtle argument for just take responsibility. So much I do think this is like non nomadic life, uh, modern life is being like, well, I guess technically I am instead of like hell yeah, I, like just own your job and responsibility and whatever yeah. comes from there. Yeah. She wasn't like, yeah. who's asking or why or what, what's going on. She was just like, yep, that's me. And then great filmmaking. As soon as he describes what's going on, there's a, uh-huh. a hard cut to her, like doing the fuse box. And it's like, yeah, she's going to go solve the problem. And you hear the guy in the background being like, problem solved. <laughs> Thank you. We're all good. Uh, last Thank question. Speed around. Uh, train pass it. Uh, train passes by the camera. Why is that so heartbreaking? And uh, it's also the the train is not coming towards the camera. Is it more heartbreaking when the camera comes? Or the no, that's gut wrenching because you think you're going to die if it's coming right. at you. Uh-huh. Zora Neil Hurston begins. Their eyes are watching God with ships at a distance have every man's dream of on board. Right. And I think that it's true of the train that passes. I got to say, Greg has tried to shove that quote in every movie of the year episode. Finally, <laughs> it works. And I'm just proud as a friend. <laughs> All right, actually, I have one more speed round. Uh, how come mean people nice and nice people mean? 
Yeah. This movie does such a good job of showing how if somebody seems gruff, this is so true of the East Coast. The East Coast has a reputation for everyone being mean. Everyone on the East Coast will help you at the drop of a hat. On the West Coast, everyone's so nice, but if you need help, they will literally run well, away from you. It's the difference like, between niceness and kindness, right? So they're gruff yeah, but kind yeah. and nice but fucking vapid on the West Coast. I fucking hate nice people. New York has the worst reputation, but if you are a lady with a stroller and you get to the bottom of stairs in New oh, York, yeah. someone you don't know people. will grab your stroller and run upstairs, and nobody would ever think or of just passing by. If you're in lost situation. in New York, people will tell, try to help you while you keep running away and try to make friends with a pigeon lady. But if you're lost in LA, people will just be like, no, no, I don't have time. I won't give you money. Instead of being like, no, I just need to know how to get to Sunset. <laughs> I'm in, I was in New York, and I met the same wallet inspector five different <laughs> times and he was so nice to me <laughs> he was really really nice and every single time my wallet was out of date and he had to confiscate it and he would never made a big deal yeah. about it or took me to the police station Look or anything guy. you guys are so too yeah, dumb to continue this segment so we're going to take a break when we come <laughs> back it's award season motherfucker in the interest of full disclosure we do actually not know how many oscars nomadland has won at the time of this recording i think Guys, I think it's going to do well, regardless of your opinion on the movie. What is your opinion of Oscar voters? It's hard to imagine any other movie having the hype that this one does. I mean, before I saw it, part of what I think uh, makes this movie so impressive is that before I saw it, I already knew it was like the best movie of the year, Mm -hmm. and it still managed to blow me away. So that's a... (laughs) That's a pretty tall order. So I'm assuming just because groupthink is like so comfortable that this is going to take down a ton of Oscars because everyone's going to know that's the right answer. And and not that it's undeserved because it isn't, but it feels like the safe academy where normally, you know, Heart of Hearts, all they want to do is vote for Mank. Yeah. But they're going to yeah. safely vote for this. It's going to go number one vote, Mank. Number two, Green Book. Please just let me vote for this. <laughs> and then three is No Bad Land and hopefully it'll do it. I do think that would be nice if every year they could give out one or two to, to Green Book again, because it really did change the game. In the choreography. Let, let, let that person <laughs> get an award. And it's so cool of Broadway to shut all of it down during the pandemic, except to open it up for Green Book the musical, and let us just watch that goddamn choreography. It also, it reminds so people that the reason I'm taking the uncut pizza and folding it up mm-hmm. and then biting into it is it's an allusion well, to Best Picture Green Book. That song was the best. When you're a mook, this is how you eat. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) When you're a mook, you will eat just like this. I hate how Greg does that, where it sounds like he's commenting on a movie, but he's just reading lyrics from the Broadway version of that movie. (laughs) (laughs) I fold up pizza. I learn a lot. All right, guys. (laughs) Our first award tonight that it actually, uh, no, man, this is not an Oscar. It's a biggest indictment of capitalism. And I'm really interested to see where you guys go here because is this. For you, for Chloe, for Fern. What are we doing here? Mike, you're up first. Uh, the one that hit me, and I guess I got to say for me, and you know what? I'm going to speak for Fern and Chloe as well. Uh, it's when they're going around the fire and talking about how they got in the road. And uh, the woman said uh, HR called her husband, I think it was her husband, in hospice and said, let's talk about your retirement. HR knows you're in hospice at that point. Uh, so that that's just like, that feels so just like, this is how systems work and grind you down and don't really care about you as a person. I bet that's the time where it's easiest to get HR to call you about your retirement <laughs> is when you're in hospice. Greg, what do you think? For all my belly aching about how Amazon came a- across in this, I think just the simple fact that 
it's an oh, it's portrayed as an okay job, but that it's like okay, we don't have any more work for you, and you got to get the fuck out of here right now. Mm-hmm. And then you're in the middle of nowhere, and it's freezing cold. Uh, that like relationship to your employees is nuts and could only happen in a system like capitalism where you can be so far separated from the people that you actually have to see do your work but the idea that you would treat treat your employees that way like where you don't offer them anything basically except for a little bit of work this is one of the crazy things about the movies is that uh, em- the the story about Empire and how it shuts down we just accept we're like yeah, yeah. Well, yeah uh, that happens um, I don't know who they sold the city to or like uh, who paid them to leave but you, you have the feeling that at some point everyone at some top level got Five hundred thousand dollars instead of everyone on the bottom level getting enough money to like, you know, have a new life. Well, Ryan, you're talking about Empire, right? Yeah, which was the mine versus Amazon. And when the beginning of the movie, Fern talks to the person, and she's like, "Well, you have the rest of the day, and then three hundred forty-nine dollars <laughs> a month." Oh, did I get the award wrong? I mean, you could reward yourself. I just wanted to right. to clarify for listeners. Uh, coolest van mod, Greg. What is the coolest van mod? Okay, a lot of cool van mods, but the fishing box dropped down to become like a little shelving on the inside for her most precious things. And then also just like a little bit of counter space, which I imagine if you're living in a van, like counter space is just everything. And so the idea that a little bit opens up and repurposed fishing box, I think is really cool. So I like that one. I live in a house and counter space is super mm-hmm. important. Counter mm-hmm. space is clutch everywhere. It's so important. Mike, what do you have? I can't do that one then. Uh,. Do extra another one, drawer then, space, I think, is amazing that she figured out so she could get extra drawers from the outside and then extra drawers for like her clothes and stuff to change on the inside. That her whole bed is lifted. And the face everybody made, like, oh shit, you lifted that bed. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. Uh, I think it's easy to figure out. Mike. Everyone who goes to uh, tour Vanguard is that you can lift your bed, but everybody in the van's like, damn, girl. That's so creative. <laughs> Mike, 2020 movie, cringiest moment. What do you got? For this is going to be real personal. It has to do with me and my background and where I grew up. But the fact that the only young people we saw being nomads were a bunch of white folks with dreads, I <laughs> cannot help but see a group of these people and have them not be the villain of the movie, and they're just white people with dreads. Fuck that. Do they give these people a bad name because they're always out for like money grubbing? Is that the problem? Besides white people shouldn't dreads. have dreads and wear drug rugs, <laughs> and they probably are going to sing bad sublime covers. <laughs> You just know right after the mo- the scene changed, they're all singing "Bad Fish." There was uh, there was a guy wearing a sublime shirt in this movie, but uh, white people with dreads. Greg, where are we going? Uh, I don't mean to be jerky, but <laughs> it's it's kind of a funny line. But it made it definitely made me cringe both times I watch it. When Fern says, "We be the bitches of the Badlands," there's a little bit of a patois going on there, and I don't know that Fern at any other time uses the language like that it kind of seems like a little bit of a little bit of vernacular blackface there a little bit of of aave and it just made me feel slightly uncomfortable because when else does anything like that happen in the movie that is true and that's probably francis coming out and francis is the one with the problem but uh, i'm gonna give that one to mike uh greg chloe zhao's director's signature move so uh, for me, it w- there's a lot of like interludes, sort of like musical interludes, and so I, I picked one of them that I thought was the most 
important. And it was um, after she has said goodbye to Swanky, and it's the interlude that includes her seeing the bison, and she's nude in the river, and sort of like all the glories of the West. And part of what she goes through is she goes through a ghost town. And she's just looking at like this town that used to be here and just isn't anymore. And that's as beat you over the head as any part of that montage is. But you just like, even up the part where she's just walking across the river, it just feels so invested with meaning, but not like meaning that assaults you instead, meaning that like opens up it, you know, in front of you. I think that is a, like, uh, uh, I don't know, like a point of argument with the movie is that, uh, Fern is overtaken by this and are you as an audience member overtaken by this or are you supposed to? Is Chloe like cheating on her job by just throwing you all of these things Mm. and now are you Fern? Are you overtaken with all this? You know like oh now you get to look around at America but the way that it's when it's put in and how it's paced I don't know I like I think because it's through Fern's eyes and it's only when Fern needs to look at it that's why I think it does work. Yeah. Mike, uh, I th- I wanted to try to pinpoint how the the use of real people. So I think it's the there's the not montage, but they're all around the fire. The nomads are sharing how they became nomadic, and it feels just like a really well cut home video at that point. Nobody is acting; they are just telling their stories that feel real and grounded uh, and awkward in different ways. And that that the most like it almost felt like maybe Francis McDormand was never even met those people. It felt so like cut it spliced in to be like no we're talking about real people in case you thought i was making just a movie movie uh yes yeah okay i'm gonna have to give that one to mike for blending mike francis and the other actors i do think that is the most important part and then mike we're gonna go for pound for pound performance is this obvious is this a slam dunk well i have because you pulled a one over on us last week at lover's rock so i was afraid to just say the obvious, Francis McDormand. So I assumed you were going to scream at us and say we can't say her. I remember that. Yeah. Okay. I won't do that. So I'm allowed to say Francis McDormand. Yeah. All right. Fuck off, kid. That she meets twice and gives a lighter to and says Shakespeare yeah. to. You are not getting this performance. Uh, we already said earlier that Francis McDormand falls into Fern to the point that we forget that she's acting and really blends in amongst these folks and, and it feels real and grounded and I, a huge one is uh and cl- shows off chloe Zhao's, uh but it's when francis is walking through the camp and the skies are beautiful and it feels just like real and present and somatic like we feel in her body in there it's just the way she's walking doesn't feel fully comfortable like her just her physicality lets you know everything that's going on inside of fern's head there that was really i say good. I say swanky. Uh, there, there are several times in this movie where uh, Francis McDormand is clearly just Francis McDormand, uh, and swanky doesn't do that. Swanky is <laughs> swanky only swanky, swanky through and through. And I was impressed because obviously they, you know, Chloe Zhao asked her to do a piece of acting here and there, and I thought swanky did a really good job. So I'm giving it to swanky. Mike. I will say that if either one of you chose the guy who uh, traded the beer for the sandwich at the end that Mike, you were talking about, uh, that would have been minus three points. That guy was like some sort of, uh, like he was, he, uh, like the Decemberist played a song and then he came <laughs> out of the song and then just spoke like that. Uh, right I don't know by wh- the parapets. I don't know where they found that guy, but that was, he was awful to listen to. He's a cowboy. Uh, 
Yeah, he, he was very... You've never met that guy? I've met the guy too many times in my life. It felt very I, real. When I see that guy coming, I usually push you towards him. I know. So that's I why I've met him to... so many times. I think he's like a ghost. I mean, he, sp- he speaks in, a, in the fashion of a bygone era. He's dressed like a cowboy. This mm. is a movie obsessed with, with the West, I, I think. And he is essentially someone that's almost like completely forgotten. I think he's kind of supposed to be a ghost. I'll take Greg. that. Greg. <laughs> nice. I agree I got with the swept, board. I got swept on the awards. <laughs> Uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to figure out who won Nomadland, besides Francis, and also how we think this movie's going to do in the final bracket. That is Nomadland. I would say the favorite for uh, the future, looking back at 2020 as the number one movie of the year, probably the favorite for the Oscars. Do you guys think it'll be the favorite for movie of the year? I don't know. We're kind of uh, cool. And Too cool for school, maybe. So we're just gonna give it to Parasite again, right? This this movie has barely a narrative, but another movie we've watched this season has even less of a narrative, and I could see that being really our jam. What is that one? Lovers Rock. Lovers oh, Rock. Yeah. See, Lovers Rock had a party. This has, I guess, mm. several parties, but they're they're parties of like old people. Lovers Rock had a party of young people. We love young people. Very yeah. cool. If Martha from Lover's Rock got freaked out, ran into the backyard, and was just like a rock maze where she ran around and like partied, that uh, no, no man, that is a no. horror movie. <laughs> if you're just in a house party and then don't intend to find that rock maze, <laughs> no. But I think it has a legit chance. I mean, I I think that when the dust settles, uh, I don't know one on one. Maybe Lover's Rock, but it 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 seems like there's a quite a few movies in the bracket that it could take down. Oh, and for sure. I do- <laughs> Honestly, like I think that Chloe Zhao's decision here of not making a documentary, not just having um, nomadic people star in it, the like the the grabbing of Frances McDormand could be the thing. Like she's such an important, such a talented actress. Like mm. she's really hard to deny. Uh, guys, I got twenty seven points. What? Wow, way to go, Ryan! That That's is a lot of the points. most a host has ever gotten. Who's Maybe scoring double? This? Yeah. Uh, that does set the record for uh, movie of the year host of all time. So thank you, Nomad Land, for giving me that. Uh, Greg forty four, Mike forty two. Another I, close round. Very close. Wow, I'm shocked. Is this because of trivia? Oh yeah, Greg cleaned up on trivia. Uh, there were some off air points when I was being a little bitch head to Ryan. Okay, yeah, there's <laughs> some of that too. I, I win. I win the in between segments usually by a score of when like four to zero. Nobody can hear. I'm just like yeah. fuck you, Ryan. Fuck you. I'm gonna kill you. Fuck you. And Ryan the whole time is just like Greg, 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 Greg. No, I, I Greg. Uh, and also, Greg. To be fair, I'm also hitting the Ryan button during those times. Oh yeah, just to make That's me true, feel better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I I will say to 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 my illustrious competitor. I think we disagreed on this movie more than most, or it seemed like that. But yeah, every time I was I like, say. interesting. But yeah, I think I, I wore out my, respectfully, I disagree, <laughs> but, uh, I, but I, I always enjoyed hearing what you had to say. Yeah, I didn't hate I didn't hate this movie, but I did feel like uh, I liked it maybe less than you did, Mike, and mm-hmm. on some key issues where we disagreed with, with some things. Which is crazy for a couple reasons. One, importantly, uh, Mike is an Amazon hater, and two, uh, the second time versus the first time watching, I think is is fascinating. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, all of the new stuff that it brings when you watch it. Does that is that not there the second time you watch it? You know, I, I'm I excited know to find that, out. You gonna go watch it right now? Probably. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me, okay. Good for you. Let sure. me ask you. Let me ask you guys this because I'm I miss brackets so much. This okay. versus this sound whole of thing metal. Is a 
if this uh, I I earlier declared that this movie is exactly the same as Sound of Metal. You did, but but for key differences, which one do you think, or would you vote for right now? Well, this movie doesn't have Paul Racy. Racy. F. Tompkins. It does have I, Swanky though. You know, it's so weird. But when it comes to like acting, I think I would go with Sound of Metal because I think there's more uh, across the cast. There's more acting talent. But, the other thing too is that Paul Racy is a non-actor who lives that life. Who was also like, there yeah, so many comparisons. But the just the the. The craftsmanship of of Chloe Zhao really blew me away in this, and I don't think there's uh, there's many movies that could compare with just her ability to um, edit together shots and compose mm-hmm. shots and set them to music and honestly say something with a train passing from one side of the frame to the other where you feel like oh yeah I get the message and you're like what <laughs> how? <laughs> why how where did that come from <laughs> I mean two of the like the two of the most powerful shots we've seen in this season one is a boat going from <laughs> left to right and the other is a train going from left to right. I, and I, I think when it, yeah, if we're talking about just directorial composition in sentimental, I guess I'm thinking of the last scene. That's really what pops in my mind. I'm sure there's more, but this movie is littered. It is lousy with artistic composition that makes you go, "Oh fuck, I love movies." Yeah, I mean, we can argue the difference between or like what has the better plot or acting or characters, but I think that with a uh, camera in the hand, that mm-hmm. Chloe Zhao does sort of destroy. Uh, last question before we go. Uh, Knowing all of this, and I will remind you guys of trivia that uh, the two of you combined to name one Eternal. If you ranked all MCU movies right now, is the Eternals going to be closer to the best MCU movie of all time or the worst? Closer to the best. Best? I I was already so excited for it because it's new and weird and I don't know about them. But now now knowing like either she's going to be pummeled by the studio, uh, kind of like the directors of Captain Marvel I'm guessing... What or, she's already done is kind of like embedded herself yeah. amongst the Eternals, right? And she's probably <laughs> she's like for years, the, yeah, right. So they just think of her as Chloe, right? And she's oh, Chloe's always got her camera, but really she's been with the Eternals, and then they're gonna just like we're gonna get to see what's behind the mask, and and that she rewrote all the characters once they were cast, so they fit uh, in more. So maybe she Marvel wouldn't let her cast uh, non actors, but that she rewrote all her characters so they were close to. So Kumail is just Kumail, Brian is just Brian. Uh, so like she didn't just cast Selma. Brian, but once Brian was cast, she was like, "All right, I got this. Yeah. I got this for sure." And, and now I, I think it's going to be the best. But it's it's certainly going to be the best looking Marvel movie fucking ever. All right, Moody Heads, that is that for this show. Uh, next week we're doing I'm Thinking of Andy Things. We're going to rerun that show. Greg, you weren't on it. Anything to say about I'm Thinking of Andy Things? What a challenging, interesting, fascinating experience of a movie. I think it's crazy that we have a movie in this bracket that we don't know what Greg thinks, and yeah. so. That the bracket's gonna be fucking nuts. I respect Greg because if I was him, I would have just been like, "Well, it would have been a lot better if I was on it and yeah. not said shit about the movie, <laughs> or just delete the show. Just delete the show." Yeah, I have the power yeah. to do that, gentlemen. Guess we gotta re-record it. <laughs> Mike, that is me. That is you. That is not Greg. I'm thinking of anything. Is me, you, and Christina Barcy, aka Barcy, the Bar Sauce. Oh, so I don't think it because of the Bar Sauce. Your nickname for people is just the last name. The last name. I'm pretty cool. The big bars. The big bar. Roseanne bars. bars. (laughs) So tune in for that. For Mike, for Greg, I'm Ryan. And please.